You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hello, people. How are you doing? 801. Um, and you're listening to Matt Phillips on the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, it is recorded live. So if you're new to the podcast, then that's why you're going to hear me bringing things up on screen and I will try to explain what is on the screen. But if you want to join us live and see the recording and be able to ask the guests directly, then just head along to YouTube channel, the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel on Tuesdays um, at eight o'clock UK time. Okay, and then you can join us for the live recording. We like it live because it makes it more spontaneous. I was just talking to our guests. It just we get questions which we haven't heard before. Um, and, and it just, I think, makes a more interesting podcast at the end of it. But if you don't, if you can't join us that time, that's fine. And we welcome you downloading the podcast. It's very nice of you. The only thing we do request, if you could, if you do enjoy what you hear, then just leave a little rating. Five will be fine. Um, and a comment or something, because it just helps um, the good word of our guests reach more people because you get higher in the Google searches. Um, so that'd be amazing. If you're using an iPhone, it's simple. It takes 10 seconds. If you're using an Android, it's a bit more complicated. I think it's still their iTunes or something. But iPhone users, all 61% of you, I think, that'd be great. You just leave a rating. Anyway, so here we are. Um, Tuesday night is episode 117 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, and what we're doing now... Um, in full swing of September as we're starting a countdown to Therapy Expo 2022, uh, which is taking place on November the 23rd and the 24th at the NEC Birmingham, where it has taken place for the last, this will be the eighth year in Birmingham, I think, in a couple of years in Manchester. I think that's right. Um, so if you're not aware of the events, you can get full details, just type in Therapy Expo 2022 into Google. Um, and it's, it's, I first went there, I think, in 2014. I spoke in 14, 15, 16, and then I didn't speak anymore because, um, I, I don't know, I just got asked to kind of talk about injury instead of pain. And at that time, that wasn't a great question to say to me. Nowadays, we kind of understand that you can't talk about one without the other, and it's all very much caught up. And it's really nice to be back. Um, I think I was a little bit premature um, in 2014 trying to say what I was saying but it's all good now and I really do wholeheartedly and you know me very evidence-informed I think it's a great progressive um, expo um, and event to attend um, in no small amount because the Sports Therapy Association has its own STA theatre um, in there and uh, this year like last year we've got two days of fantastic speakers bringing you presentations from nine in the morning till five in the afternoon on both the Wednesday and the Thursday so what we're going to be doing basically between now and uh, November, uh, mid-November, is is bringing you the speakers themselves to have a little chat about who they are in case you're not aware of what they do, highlight um, their websites and what they offer, and and talk a little bit about what they're going to be presenting um, to give you an idea of whether you want to put that in your diary. And there's about, I mean, last week we talked to Liam Richardson, who's the manager of content at Therapy Expo at Closer Still Media, and uh, I think he said something like, I thought something like 70 presentations going on for you to choose from, you know, in like eight hours. So do the maths. You can't see everybody impossible. Um, so it might be useful if you have a little listen now um, or to the next few episodes and see whether you definitely want to pinpoint some of them, mark them in your diary. Um, so um, you can hear that last um, week's episode with, like I say, Liam Richardson, content manager at Therapy Expo. Um, or you can watch it on YouTube. 
or you can listen to it on all popular podcast apps um, and you can also see it and read all the show notes at dsta.co.uk um there we go right so before i bring the guest up for tonight welcome people who are joining us live um, i really love the fact that people do join us live and i think it's like testimony to to people trying to maintain that live aspect to our life everything now is just catch up isn't it so i really appreciate it and when you do join us live then i can bring your messages up onto the screen so gary benson founder of the sta is here good evening all he says hope you're keeping well welcome back gary that's the other gary gary mendoza dr gary mendoza who's our guest waiting patiently in the lobby um really looking forward to this one as are a lot of people and thank you for your comments on social media on facebook and twitter and instagram um, it's lovely to hear that you're looking forward to listening to, to me, Dr. Um, Gary Mendoza. Catherine Rhyme is in the house saying hi, everyone. Hi, Catherine. Marco Mendonca is here as well. How are you doing, Marco? Uh, Becky Carroll is obviously in here. And again, replicating what we are all thinking. Very much looking forward to seeing Gary Mendoza at the Expo. Definitely. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, uh, Catherine Ryan is saying me too Becky Ivan Ward is here hi Ivan and Lindsay Penn is here and people are still all flocking in so if you listen to the podcast and you fancy you've got Tuesday night free UK time eight o'clock come along you don't have to be an STM member but it gives you a really nice chance to network have a chat as well as ask our fantastic guests questions direct right I've left him down in the um, lobby for long enough um Really looking forward to what's going to happen now. We're talking about Dr. Gary Mendoza, who's going to be at the STA Theatre at Therapy Expo, 11.30 a.m. on day two in the STA Theatre. Also going to be um, uh, there on Wednesday as well in Theatre B. Um, so you've got two days uh, chance to catch him. Um, with us, he's going to be talking about understanding your client's behaviour change journey. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's bring Dr. Gary Mendoza up. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey Gary, how are you doing? Hi Matt, thanks for inviting us on. No mate, thank you very much for um, coming along. This is your third time now, you've already entered elite rankings now, three appearances, um, so I appreciate you giving out your time. Um, for people who um, aren't aware, Gary was here back in, so I think it was May, with nutrition mind over matter but originally first appearance was well a year ago now august 2021 with episode 64 which was motivational interviewing for client communication so pretty much a year ago he first came to gary um so it's really great to have you back and for people who aren't aware of you which is really the people i want to reach um maybe they ha don't know about stages of change.co.uk your website how would you kind of, I know it's tricky, but how would you sum up what stages of change.co.uk is and the services you offer? And in particular, how is it useful to soft tissue therapists? Um, I think, well, pr primarily I kind of offer training in behavior change and different aspects of behavior change, as well as applied nutrition for more for personal trainers, but and for therapists as well, if you're kind of giving your clients any type of broad overview of what their nutrition should look like. Um, I think more and more therapists are realizing that it's not just about what they do when they've got their clients there, although obviously that is majorly important, but actually not what, not just what they're doing, but what they're saying, because the way you're communicating with that client will impact on whether they follow through with any maybe follow up treatment that you're suggesting or 
um, exercise or whatever that you're suggesting they do during the week in between visits with you. So certainly with physiotherapists, there'll be certain exercises they give out that they need the client to do on a daily basis. And then they carry on their more remedial therapy when they see them maybe every couple of weeks or whatever. But very often they find that a lot of clients, <clears throat> it's very obvious to them when they come back that they just haven't been doing whatever they've said they would do. And the reason behind that is they really haven't facilitated the behavior change at a psychological level for that client. So as they go away, really just understanding why it is so important that they do it and why they're committed to doing it. So that's kind of the area I'm really interested in is, and you get your clients to do what they actually say they might do. Do you think, I'm hoping, I mean, we've, we're on like episode 117 now and I could I reckon probably I'd bet that in 60 or 70 of those we've now mentioned the importance of communication and how words matter. And we've had lots of episodes just dedicated to that words matter. Is it something which, you know, you've been doing this a while. Is it getting better now? I mean, I think you said therapists are starting to wise up that what comes out of the mouth is important as well as what they do with their hands. Is it getting better? Or is it my imagination? I think it, I think the awareness of it is getting better. But whether people are getting better at doing it is another matter because it's like, yeah, I know a lot of people think I'm a really good communicator. I mean, I did before I ever learned motivational interview and I thought, well, I've been a personal trainer 30 odd years. I must be quite good at talking to people. Otherwise they wouldn't stay with me. But I think when I learned motivational interviewing, it made me realize, God, my communication could be so much better. And, and the funny thing was learning motivational interviewing kind of six months, a year down the line. Even my wife, and I've been married 41, 42 years nearly. And even she said to me, she said, God, you listen now. And I'm like, did I not always then? <laughs> well, that's a good testimony. Stick that in the <laughs> Your wife says you listen. That's amazing. That's, I've just, uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, you, you missed out on the glory of seeing me nearly spit out my tea. Because I've just remembered now, there will be just clinical, go just things you want to write down here, which Gary will say just off the cuff, which just in seven words, we just, Put, make something so clear so what you just said there is just brilliant people are aware now but whether they can actually do it is another topic and that just kind of sums up exactly what your website and everything um is about giving people the skills now because it's something we talked about before in in therapy traditionally there is no mention i would go to say i'm not sure about at degree level but definitely below degree level there isn't really any modules on communication or even educating it's all manual therapy exercise prescription why is that? I mean, I think that's true. And that's not just therapy either. I mean, that is true of most nutrition degrees, most dietetic degrees. And, and yet there are two professions that their primary role is going to be communicating, trying to get their clients to take on board information. And yet we don't give them any skills in doing them. In fact, I now work at Bath Spa and we do, they get four hours on doing consultations. And when you think that a nutritionist day in, day out will be doing consultations, four hours in a three year degree is, well, you're paying lip service to it really, excuse the pun. It's very good, it's very well put. Again, it's, I mean, again, in our episodes, we've talked about now how the subjective is so important. I've heard you talking about it, that the client will give you the answers if you listen to them enough. 
Um, and that's mentioned now, depending on the teacher, because a lot of teachers are still very keen to get to all of those objective tests and all these clever ways of telling whether they've got a meniscal issue or testing tendons and palpation. But it's still, as far as I know, in, in a lot of syllabi, it's not it's not dealt on enough in how to have a successful subjective. I guess that's something where you really dip in and help people get the most out of the time they're spending on the subjective assessment. Yeah. And. And it's not just what you, I mean, what you say is absolutely crucial, but it's actually learning to listen. Because I think there is one of the things we're all kind of blessed with, but cursed with as well, is your writing reflex. And that's when you're an expert in a field and somebody says something and you think ah, that's not right. No, what you want to do is da, 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 and you just jump straight in there. And we've all got that as professionals, but it's learning to control it and think, is that really appropriate that I bring that out now or should I listen a bit more to what my client's telling me because ultimately they I might get I'll get a lot more from that than I will just spouting a load of facts at them and saying oh you want to do this you want to do that and Bill Miller who's one of the founders of motivational interviewing one of his favorite sayings is sometimes all a person needs is a good listening to Brilliant. and it's so true that's great. That's just a T-shirt in the making there. What you need is a really good listening to. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned motivational interviewing. I, I've kind of mentioned this a lot, but I think it's just because it's so important. Because if I didn't know about it and I saw it on a tin or saw it on a website or someone was kind of talking in the background, oh, I saw something really interesting on motivational interviewing. It does sound like, I don't know, technique to get your job at an interview, doesn't it? Or, or ways to find the right member yeah. of staff. It's unfortunate. And we've talked about this before. But um, yeah, how can you clarify that? What is motivational interviewing? A motivational interviewing, in a nutshell, it, it's a way really of having a useful conversation that helps, that facilitates a client's um, desire to want to change. It was primarily designed by uh, William Miller and Stephen Rolnick, initially in addictive behaviours and helping people that, maybe didn't want to change or at least ambivalent about it. And the whole purpose of it was to have a conversation in such a way that by the end of that conversation, the individual had found their own reasons for maybe why it might be beneficial for them to change. And so it, for want of a better word, it's kind of, it's a cozy chat that's got purpose and direction. It's a simple way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, and it's something which we're just not all inherently born with. Like you say, our natural instinct a lot of the time, particularly when we become professionals is something is to blurt out the answer and looking for the solution and sort of say it. But is that something you do have to learn a lot of the time? There's, there are lots of facets in motivational interviewing that we all do from time to time, but maybe don't realise that's what we're doing. But ultimately, I would say, the skills you use in motivational interviewing do not come naturally to anyone, not in the way that you would use them. Because one of the things I always say at the start of my workshop when people are learning motivational interviewing is you've all been communicating for 20, 30, 40 years, depending on how old you are. And now I'm going to tell you, you've been doing it wrong. You need to do it this way. You're going to have to learn a new way to communicate. Now, for some people, there'll be facets that they do naturally. And so they're just learning a different part. So the, the key kind of areas are um, active listening. So learning to listen in such a way 
that you are really paying attention to everything that the client is saying. And I do mean everything, literally in terms of the words they're using. So that's one thing. Reflective listening. So being able to listen and then give that content back to the client, <clears throat> maybe slightly reworded in a slightly different way, paraphrase, whatever. There are different types of reflections. And for most of us, we tend not to reflect when we have a conversation. And then I would say the third thing that people no normally need to get comfortable with is giving people a bit of space. Normally what will happen in a conversation is I'll say something, you'll respond. I'll wait till you, st the minute you stop talking, I'll say something else or possibly even cut across you because that happens from time to time. And one of the things you have to learn is to slow everything down, be calm and don't be afraid of a little bit of silence at the end. And in this, in the context of motivational interviewing, silence really is golden. Because often if you leave a gap when your client stops speaking, they won't be comfortable with it. And neither will you. You'll be like, oh, I really should say something there. But because you don't say anything, the client thinks, oh, he's expecting me to say something else. And so then they will. They'll blurt something else out. And very often, whatever comes out at that point will have come from the subconscious. So generally, when we respond in a conversation, it's conscious. We're just like, oh, this is what I would say to that. This is what I would say to that. But if you've used all that conscious response and now you're thinking, oh, what do I say now? You kind of have to access your subconscious. And really, it's the subconscious we want to get to because that's running the show. And so that learning to leave a bit of space and being comfortable with a slower pace of conversation, that takes real practice. I love that. I think about that. I think I'm not, I'm not exaggerating on a daily basis and not just with clients, with friends, with family, even with my children, with my wife, definitely. It's just that you want to say something, but just give it a couple of seconds because that opens the door, doesn't it? And it's, it's beautiful. The way you put it is just it's so true. And yeah, I mean, I'm very impressed with, I'm just going to bring up your website a sec. So I want people to know that there's an awful lot. I mean, this is just a giveaway on your website. Just if people listen to the podcast, I'm bringing up a screenshot now of um, stagesofchange.co.uk. Um, if you go along to there, there's some information about Gary, nice photo on the front. Um, and if you click along, you'll find, for example, there's a video, which is nearly an hour long, called the Action Behaviour Change Strategy. And it's so worth a listen. You don't have to do it all in one go. Don't let that put you off. Don't let that become a barrier. Just think, oh, I might listen to 10 minutes of that. And it just explains so much. And you'll just be nodding and going, I can relate to that. I get that. Um, and it's free. Once again, we're talking about CPD. People saying, what should I do? Well, here you go. If you're looking for something to do to improve yourself, there's 50 minutes of it on stages of change. Um, .co.uk and also on there you'll find loads of details about once you do understand what it is then you can have a little look at what you think might be applicable for you in terms of courses and things um, there's it's not just about behavioral change if you're particularly in nutrition which is um, Gary's one of Gary's many um, specialities then there's uh, mentoring and things and courses for that and then personal growth so there's something there for everyone once again no such thing as the perfect CBD for everybody it's all about just finding something which suits you. So it's a great website. Um, and I recommend that you definitely go along and have a little look. Um, there we go. I just needed to get that in there because there's so much information on there, Gary. Do you find you're having to update it quite a lot or change things? 
too much change has added to it, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm forever thinking of something else. I think you know, that'd be quite useful if I put that up there. So the resources section on my website has got, I don't know, so much free stuff. It's daft, really, but I, just, I love getting it out there. Um, that is great. It's well worth going to. And then there is possibilities of becoming a member and all sorts of stuff. And like I say, the courses. So go and check it out, people, if this is the podcast. <clears throat> I've got a question here. Don't forget people as well, live people, if you're joining us, then feel free to ask questions. And um, Becky Carroll is admitted, which is the first stage. I think we'll talk about that later on. Once you can admit you're making a mistake. And um, she says, I'm a nightmare for finishing people's sentences. Some people are, isn't it? It's beautiful. Just embracing variety out there. Some people do it all the time. It just can really be grating. Not for you, Becky. You can interrupt me anytime you want. Becky will be along at Therapy Expo and I recommend spending at least 20 minutes with her, Gary. Well, make sure, make sure you say hi when you come along. Oh, she don't, I can pretty much guarantee um, she will. Um, you'll recognise it because you probably have your T-shirt on, just a big Gary um, head T-shirt, so you'll spot Becky. Um, and also Catherine Reimer here has said, was also, I think, is going to be at Therapy Expo this year. Um, Catherine says, remembering to leave pauses is sometimes the hardest. I've learned to reflect a bit more now to also find that I've also understood what the client has said. Okay, yeah, so checking, you really get, yeah, not feeling embarrassed if you haven't understood something. That's interesting, actually. Now you've said that, Catherine. How do you... Because I think as a therapist, a lot of us have got that voice in our head, understood what they're talking about, because maybe it's a bit jumbled, which especially people in pain it often is. You're a bit embarrassed because you don't want to show that you haven't understood what they said. So you might be tempted just to gloss over and think I'll work it out later. Is that a scenario where, you know, you can go, you can get them to say the information again, but without feeling embarrassed that you haven't understood it? I would I would say not so much get them to say it again, mm. but. One of the things you do, one of the types of reflection, a simple reflection is just repeat what the client said. You might swap the order of the words or whatever, but pretty much it's what the client said. But complex reflections give you real scope. And so one of the easiest ones I often say to trainers is complete the paragraph or take a punt at what you think they mean. So if you think you understand, give the client. So you you kind of go back to the client. Well, what I understand from that is that you've got da 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 da. If you've got it spot on, the client's going to think, "Wow, this guy really gets me," and that's perfect. But if you've got it wrong, the client will just correct you. Oh no, what I really meant was da 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 da. And so that is the beauty of reflections because without a reflection. If you look at Thomas Gordon's model of communication, the way we communicate is I'm sat here now and I'm thinking about what I want to say. So now I put that into a sentence. I speak it now. You hear that sentence and you will put your own meaning on it. Now, generally, that's where we leave communication because we then just normally respond and away we go. The problem with that is we haven't closed. And so it closes the loop of communication and make sure there's no misunderstanding and where there's lack of understanding it helps close that as well brilliant love that and and our biggest fear the client kind of getting a bit upset or frustrated that you haven't quite understood what they said i, I imagine it's all in our head if anything they're flattered you're taking the time out to check you know what they said is right if, if anything it actually builds empathy with the client because if you demonstrate that you are really trying to understand what they are saying, you build empathy. 
And we know from research in motivational interviewing with addictive behaviors that empathic coaches get the best results, regardless of their level of expertise, their level of experience, whatever. Empathy is the biggest single predictor of a positive outcome for a client. Powerful, powerful stuff. Um, so let's um, talk about stages of change is, is presumably named after the model stages of change model. Yeah. People who aren't familiar with that, I think that's really interesting and, and applies a lot to soft tissue therapists who are looking to try and bring about some kind of behavioral change, whether it's for rehabbing or trying to improve just performance or daily function. Can you talk us through that model? What the sure. different kind of stages are? So it was first proposed by two psychologists, Protachka and Di Clementi. And they hypothesized that when people go through changes, they go through these different stages. And so the initial stage is pre-contemplation. So if somebody's a pre-contemplator, they are not thinking about change. And the classic example of this, because it was first proposed for smoking cessation and has since been used in other addictive behaviors, but also more so recently, obesity and exercise. So a pre-contemplator isn't thinking about it. So if we go back to the smoker, if you know anybody that's a smoker, if you were to say to them, well, you don't want to be smoking, it gives you cancer, lung cancer and all this, they will go, yeah, I know all that. And it will just go in and mount the other. They're in pre-contemplation. They don't want to change. And anything you say will not make them change. Because if you look at smoking as a classic example, some of the biggest smokers in the early days when a lot of this information was coming forward were doctors and nurses, but they weren't stopping smoking. So they knew what the risks were, but so what? They were pre-contemplators, not interested. The next stage is contemplation. Now, if you look at another psychological model, which is the decisional balance model from Janice and Mann, they propose that whenever any of us make a decision in life, we take a balance sheet approach in our head, somewhere deeply subconscious, whatever, but we weigh up the pros and cons. And so we put it into two lists. And if the pros outweigh the cons, we go for it. If the cons outweigh the pros, we don't. And if the pros and cons are about equal, that is described as ambivalence. And so that's contemplation. We don't know which way we're going to go. We could go back to pre-contemplation, not thinking about it at all. Or we could move forward into what is a stage that was added later, which is called preparation. Preparation is a fairly short stage, six, 12 weeks, something like that. And as it kind of says on the tin, we're preparing to make the change. We're kind of starting to do some of the things that might facilitate a change. Ultimately, we then move into action. And then if the program is particularly good, relevant, and does everything we need it to, ultimately we move into maintenance where we're able to maintain whatever the new behavior is. So that's the spectrum. And the one kind of elephant in the room with behavior change is relapse. And no matter where you are on that spectrum of change, you can relapse at any point. And you can relapse from maintenance right back into pre-contemplation or you might relapse back into contemplation. So you can relapse from anywhere on the stage, basically back to anywhere else in the stage. But it's something we need to be aware of 
because when any of us make a change to any behavior, we will normally have to have a go at it three or four or five times. Typically in smoking, it takes five or six attempts for people to stop smoking. And so what's happening is they're moving through those stages. At some points they have a relapse because something upsets the apple cart, whether it be personal life, business, finances, bad day at the office, whatever. But anyway, they relapse back. And then it might take months, even a year or so before they then think I'm going to, I'm stopping again and away we go again. So each iteration though, we learn something new. And so we can apply that right across the board. Now you might think, and this was my kind of thinking when I started my research, that if somebody takes on a personal trainer or comes to you as a therapist, surely then they're in preparation or in action they've come to you they want to work with you my research highlighted that is not true people will sometimes go to a trainer to a therapist when they're in contemplation even or even pre-contemplation if somebody else has sent them if their gp has said you need to go and see such and such well they're going to turn up begrudgingly because the gp sent them. they don't want to be there though so you cannot make an assumption that a client is ready to change when they first come to you. And I think that's really important. And that's why something I want to kind of address when we look at the journey, it's like the first thing we need to understand when we see a client for the first time, where are they on this stages of change journey? Because if they're not in the right place, I don't care how good a therapist you are, how good a communicator you are, or how lovely a person you are, you will not, get that person to change all the research shows that you cannot on your own get somebody who's a pre-contemplator contemplator to suddenly become in action and away we go so it's very important we understand where the client is because then we can help them move from that position to a point where they are ready to change and that's where having the motivational interviewing skills comes in because if they are in pre-contemplation I can then work and use all my motivational interviewing skills to move them to a point where they're ready to change. Now that might not happen in the first session. I might have to do a couple of sessions with that client before they're psychologically ready to move forward and start looking at their nutrition, their exercise, whatever it might be. So that's where stages of change fits into the picture. Oh, there's so much in that. I feel like we should just like, be signed for five minutes let people listen to the podcast just digest that because there's i'm hoping people particularly soft tissue therapists can can after hearing that can think of particular clients or patients you've got i mean i think the pre-contemplation is so interesting because we know again because of studies that a lot of our role as therapists now we're moving away from the kind of operator model into the facilitator and part of that means we're going to have to educate which is why we need these skills of being able to educate and coach. And to do that, we need to listen. But on a business model, we do have people who turn up who are not ready to be educated. They're just there to get a nice massage. And yet they're coming to you in pain. They're coming to you and they're going to need a lifestyle change. And you know that, but they don't yet. Or maybe they're just really not prepared to make that lifestyle change. And I would say there's a lot of mystery over what causes injuries and I, I think one of the most common factors, if you really want to get out of that, you know, cumulative injury cycle, you're going to need a lifestyle change, whether it's more sleep or better nutrition or a combination of lots of things. And 
where you are in terms of being able to make that change is huge the rest of like you say what you do to that client with that client is by the by if you don't help them identify that they are in a state of mind where they're not going to do anything that you listen to um amazing stuff i'm really interested in people who are listening to the live uh, in the live audience as well if you can relate to that because you're gonna they're particularly the, they're the clients you're gonna lose if they come in in that state of mind and they walk out in it they're going to come back and see you so as a business model you're failing because you probably fail to turn a customer who could change a little bit and move into the contemplation stage and come back and see you again i guess there's not many rebooks with a pre-contemplation client coming is there well well i point out to personal trainers i said there is a real danger if you take on clients that are in pre-contemplation and you don't have the skills to move them forward to a point where they're psychologically ready firstly they will drop out of your program they won't come back for treatment whatever it might be Mm -hmm. but most importantly they'll damage your business because when somebody says to them, oh, you went to see a therapist, didn't you? How would you get on? Oh, he was rubbish. He didn't tell me what yeah. to do. Right? He didn't give me the right exercises. He didn't understand me. Now, none of that will be true, but that's their perception. And unfortunately, you're not there to put the other side of the story. You know, you can't, you're not standing there going, well, actually, I did tell you this and I gave you this and I asked you if you'd do that. You don't get that. You just get the client basically saying that's rubbish don't go to him and so that's damaging to your business so even just from a business point of view taking on a client in pre-contemplation without the skills to move them to at least contemplation preparation you want to hide into nothing and i like what you say about lifestyle because my mantra when i work in obesity because my specialization my phd is male treatment of male obesity my mantra is when I meet a client, it's your lifestyle that got you fat and only changing that lifestyle is going to get you thin again. And if you can't buy into that, we shouldn't be working together anyway, because that ultimately is what's going to underpin anything. And it's the same for you guys. If somebody's coming to you injured, in pain, whatever, well, then their lifestyle must have led to that. And much as you can remedy it or whatever if you don't get them to make lifestyle changes well they'll just repeat that cycle again and they'll be back again in three months with the same injury or whatever because they carried on doing what they were doing and that's what got them in there in the first place so when i work in elite sport that's particularly relevant because when you've got an athlete that's not performing you kind of have to look at well, what are the lifestyle factors that kind of led to this poor performance that's what we need to change otherwise we're just gonna we'll, we'll just reiterate and we don't want that that's so interesting and so important about the people like you say people going away and, and kind of basically bad mouthing your business um, which is probably not down to you in the sense that you didn't give them that impression but you haven't managed to identify that stage of mind they're in and Okay, so obviously my question now, I'm getting very excited. People listening, you're going to have to jump in there with questions because I've got about 50 in here now. Is there, I mean, obviously it's not an overnight thing, but okay, so you've you've identified that pre-contemplation state of mind, stages of mind, and then what are some of the sort of things, it depends on the individual, but what are some of the things which could work so that if that person, you've got 45 minutes where you're seeing them, they're going to be lying down for massage, so that's already quite a nice door opener, but what are some of the things which you could be applying if you if you've looked into it, looked into motivational interviewing? Right. Well, if motivational interviewing is split into 
specific phases. The initial phase is engagement, which all of us do every time, regardless of how well you know that client, you should always re-engage. And you can kind of think of it as making sure we're still on the same page. Because if you haven't seen that client for a week, two weeks, loads of things could have changed. So it's really important to engage every time just to make sure that nothing else has changed since the last visit. And if it's a first visit, well, then obviously you want to understand everything about that client in terms of not just their physiology, but actually their environment, their lifestyle, their nutrition, everything else. Once we've got good engagement, the next stage is what we call focus. And focus is what are we going to work on? Now, if it's an injury, there could be loads of facets. It could be the pain. It could be the rehab. It could be the nutrition or whatever. So you kind of have to be very clear with the client and kind of, in this case, maybe put forward some ideas. We could look at this. We could look at this. We could look at this. Out of those, which one sounds like it will be most beneficial to you? Now, it's really important that I offer choice and then let the client make the choice because now I'm respecting their autonomy and they feel involved in the process. Whereas if I just go, right, well, the focus is this and what you need to do is this, I'm, it's just, that's me, that's my writing reflex, that's me going, this is what we're going to do. And much as the client will nod because you're the expert, so they're like, oh, well, yeah, whatever. The chances of them really taking on board what you're now going to tell them, pretty slim. Whereas if they're involved and you've given them choice, and they may well, when you've given them them choice, they may well say to you, well, they all sound really interesting. Which one do you think is most important? That's perfect. Because now they've said, I'm giving you the right to choose the one that's best. And so now you can proceed. So, so now we know what we're working on. The, fight, the next stage is what we call evoking. And evoking is finding the client's reasons as to why they might make that change. So if we were talking about, I don't know, torn hamstring and how we're going to rehabilitate that and what is going to be necessary during the week for them to do, we would then say, kind of ask specific what we would call evocative questions. And rather than me just going, well, you need to do this exercise twice a day, morning and evening, whatever, I would ask them about the injury itself and how it impacted them and what difference it would make if they could clear that injury up. And they might go, well, if, if, if my hamstring was repaired, I might be able to get back to running or riding a horse or whatever it might be. And then I'd ask them, and why is that important to you? Oh, well, I love that. That's how much. I... And so after a few questions like that, I mean, it's a very quick example. What you're hearing is all their reasons for change. And so now I can give them that all back. So you've said you want to do this and it's important because of that. And it's important because of that. Shall we now look into how we might go about that? Now they've heard all their own voices saying it's important. It's important. I just need to, I want to, or whatever. We are now ready to move into planning because they're kind of game on. They can think, yeah, I need this plan because I want all those things. And really that's the kind of crux of motivational interviewing. It's going through it process at a time not skipping any of the processes and at all times listening to the client and respecting their autonomy. Amazing. Brilliant. Maybe hope taking notes, people. So much in there to unpack. And it's stuff which I guess 
part of getting better of it is just practicing it bit by bit i guess you're not going to get a master of it straight away um, and you might get a few things wrong but the more you practice it i guess the more it becomes second nature you're not having to go through this kind of um unconscious competence if you like where you know you can't do something i guess eventually it becomes second nature and you're doing it without thinking about it too much it's it's surprising how quickly some people pick it up obviously like any skill some people pick it up very quickly others it takes perseverance but it's definitely worth persevering but i've had trainers do the workshop and the one that always sticks in my mind is because he posted on facebook on the monday afternoon he said, oh, I've had this really awkward client, but I used the skills we've learned on the workshop, and now she's really on board and wants to move forward or whatever. And I said to him, I said, she was never an awkward client. I said, it was the way you were communicating with her that was putting barriers up. And now you've changed your style of communication, all those barriers have come down. And he, and he said, he said, oh, I've never thought of it like that. So often we say I've got an awkward client or somebody that's not compliant or someone that's very difficult to work with. Well, in motivational interviewing terms, we call that resistance. In other words, they're kind of pushing back against the expert. Mm -hmm. It takes two to have resistance. And as the therapist, you're part of that. So much as you can say, well, she's an awkward or he's an awkward client, it might just be the way you're trying to work with that client that consequently makes them an awkward client. And if you change the way you work with that client, you might end up with a very different scenario. Excellent points. Um, Lindsay here, before I forget, Lindsay makes a point here saying, I have a client that I massage weekly. Someone said to him, well, she can't be very good if you keep going back each week. He'd failed to tell them that he was sleeping in his car five nights away as he was working uh, next section and he was working away and only actually getting about four hours sleep a night while still training seven days a week so i guess all that information i wonder how long it took you lindsay to get all that information did he say straight away did he admit to you um when he came to in the first 10 minutes i'm sleeping in my car did that take a little bit of kind of dialogue and listening and getting broken up about that but yeah getting the whole picture so important and th that's that is a good example of possibly poor engagement Mm -hmm. because if we'd have had good engagement right at the start and a lot of the and not just a question and answer because often that's the way we start and i certainly i see this in personal training they kind of get people to sign a par queue they've maybe got a lifestyle questionnaire so they spend the first half hour getting them to fill out loads of questions and then they only spend 10 15 minutes talking about what they might do or how they might move forward and actually, they'd have been better off spending that first 40 minutes, 45 minutes, just having a conversation, good engagement, reflecting. And what you'll find is the more you reflect, the more information you get. And you most probably at the end of 40 minutes end up with a lot more information than was on your form. And the mm -hmm. information you've got is the important stuff as well. So I, I think getting used trusting that good engagement will allow you to fill the forms in afterwards mm -hmm. is the way to go, I think. What do you think about, because I think one of the potential pitfalls for people who get into this and start understanding the importance of the subjective and listening and giving the client more time and kind of opening up avenues of conversation, there's a danger. This happens. I remember it happened to me a few times when I was kind of getting on board with all of this importance of education and listening that 
the client's not conscious, but they've been chatting away for 30 minutes and they've only got maybe a quarter of an hour left and they actually came in for 45 minute massage. And it's only when they realize they've only got 10 minutes that they suddenly either don't come back or go, no, 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 I've booked in for a 45 minute massage. So you have got to be careful, haven't you, about checking that the individual in front of you is ready to spend that sort of time on talking. You have, and I would lay out the scenario before I even start. Mm -hmm. I am going to spend the first 30 minutes of our session just getting to know you, getting to know your background, because I really need to understand you as a person mm -hmm. before I can even contemplate treating you in any way, in, in the most appropriate way. Are you all right with that? Mm -hmm. So I'm respecting their autonomy. The other thing I do, and I say to them, I'm going to set a timer. And when that timer goes off, that will be our 30 minutes and we'll decide what we're going to do at that point. Are you okay with that? Now, the reason I do that is I then don't have to clock watch because mm -hmm. I just know that alarm yeah. will go off. I've told the client what it is, so they're expecting it as well. And so now I can just concentrate 100%. I can actively listen and not be thinking, well, I've only got five minutes. I've got to get to this point. And so I always do that as well. So they're kind of two little things from the outset. No, I'd be very surprised if it's a client that genuinely wants to heal themselves, get better, whatever it fitter, whatever it might be, that a client would turn around and go, well, no, that's a waste of time. I, I just need a massage. Mm. And in, so I've, a similar scenario, personal trainers will say to me, because I always say you should psychometrically test clients before you start with them. And a couple have said to me, well, what if they don't want to complete the psychometric tests? I said, don't work with them then. I said, that is a prerequisite for you working with a client. And if they don't want to complete psychometric tests, there's a hint straight away that maybe they're not ready to change because they want to do it on their terms and maybe don't understand what's involved in making a psychological behavior change. So it's a similar scenario when you point out to the client, I need this 30 minutes so as we understand. It might go quicker, we might get through it quicker, but I want to assign that block of time to make sure we're on the same page. Are you okay with that? Like I okay, said, nine so times out of 10, they'll go, sure. Psychometric tests. Some people have just looked up from their padding on, what did you say? Psychometric tests, what's this <laughs> all about? So yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, if, if it's somebody who's come to you looking at it from a soft tissue perspective, somebody who says, I need to get out of this pain, I've been in pain for a long time, and that's a sign that they're, you know, they need to make a change, or maybe they are looking for performance gains, they want to get their PB or something. They're all flags that maybe a psychometric test would be cool. So how do you go about doing that? Well, there are specific psychometric tests for specific scenarios. So I've got a whole bank of tests that are specifically designed for weight management. There's one in there for physical activity as well, actually. So there are psychometric tests for most scenarios, but that all sounds a bit scientific, a bit whizzy, but actually you can do a very simple kind of similar process just using a decisional balance sheet. And basically what you do there is you get people to record all their pros for changing all the things mm. that would be good if they were to clear up their injury, get rid of the pain, whatever. And then when they've listed all their pros, you would then put that sheet face down so they can't see it. Have a coffee, chat, distract them for five minutes. Or maybe get them to do this on their own, actually, is often a better idea. You then say to them, now I want you to record all the cons for changing, all the things that are going to be negative. And it doesn't matter whether they're right or wrong. If you think they're negative, 
put it down. So they might go, oh, I've got to give up too much time to doing these extra exercises. I can't be bothered to change diet. I don't have the time to healthy or whatever it might be. But they'll list all their cons. So that will be how we make decisions in the moment, those two lists. Now, you could just leave it there because if the pros outweigh the cons, then that's telling you they're good to go. They're about the same, then they need some work. And very often you can look at some of the cons and go, do you know what? That's not actually true. Would you be interested in hearing what actually happens and blah, blah. So sometimes you can discount some of the cons for them as long as you do it in the right way with education. I take that one step further, though, and then I say to them, right, now what I want you to do is I want you to imagine a scenario six months to a year down the line where you do nothing. You don't try and rehabilitate this injury. You just put up with it, carry on living with it. I now want you to list all the pros for that. And nine times out of ten, they really struggle because pretty hard to think of things that are going to be in favour of sticking with the injury. Similar thing, cover that sheet up. And it, the covering the sheet up is really important because if you've got the sheet in front of you, what people will do is they'll try to match out their reasons. It's kind of human nature. So it's actually quite important to do this as separate entities. And then the final part is, okay, six months to a year down the line, if you don't rehabilitate this, treat it properly, whatever, what are the cons going to be? And that normally that's a big list. Oh, well, I'm going to be in further pain. I won't be able to play with the kids, whatever it might be. Now, the reason that is so useful is often just doing that exercise is enough to help people shift their decisional balance because most of us make decisions in the moment and we don't think about the consequence of those decisions in the future. And so by getting to go through that process, it helps get more of a perspective on maybe why they should consider doing something about it. Excellent. I love the little details, which sounds so simple, but can make such a difference, like turning the page over. You know, it's, it's there's so much in there. It's great stuff. And Becky makes a point here, very valid point, as we expect from our Becky, says um, psychometric testing may put off dyslexic clients. How do you get around this? Yeah, I, I totally get that. But there's nothing to stop you reading the questions out to them. And then because generally nine times out of 10, most psychometric tests are either yes, no answers or they're scoring on a Likert scale, naught to nine. So in terms of, you know, like a pain scale, basically, with zero being I'm 100 percent healthy and nine being I'm in severe pain. So most psychometric tests work around that type of area. So there's no reason you couldn't read the questions for the client and record their answers. As long as you don't give any other input, because what often happens with a psychometric test is the questions are often worded quite strangely. And so if you're there, and this is why I prefer clients to do it on their own. If you're there, the client will go, oh, but what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Now, if you give any input in terms of well, what it means is this, this and this, you are already influencing the answer. And so if you are having to read the questions for your client, my stock answer would be, and I tell them right at the start, don't query any of the questions, just answer. And there's no right or wrong here. Because, And then whenever they say, oh, yeah, but what does that really mean? I, I would just simply go, it means whatever you think it means. And leave it at that. 
because if I add any more, I bias their answer. And then I don't get a true reflection of what's going on at a subconscious level. We can see listening to you how there's so much why there are courses to do this. There's so many little different scenarios and changes. And it's, yeah. Um, great question, though, Becky. Really cool question. Um, I've got, there's, there's an e-learning workshop with all the psychometric tests in there for weight loss and what have you. But each one is explained. But I also explain what the data means as well in terms of when you've scored this. What the hell does it mean? What do I do with this data? So that workshop explains all that those type of details, really. Perfect. Right. Well, look, it's 8.53 um, already. So and this is all stuff which you're going to be presenting and talking about in the STA theatre. Well, let's just check because you are there for two days. I don't want to because I think it's great you are there for two days. Let me just bring up uh, details of when you are there. I did have it all wonderfully prepared here. Yeah, I think the first day is on the main stage, and that's talking about communication. So, uh, yes, we have. I've got the times here, people. So if you're using the podcast, I'll just put this on the screen. So, yes, Dr. Gary Mendoza, Managing Director, Stages of Change Limited. So sessions, we've got the 23rd of November, which is day one, which is the Wednesday at Therapy Expo. And uh, that is going to be at 10 past two to um, 22 why have I confused myself with 20 to 3? Okay, yeah, 210 to 240, that'll do. Um, and that's in Theatre B, I believe, um, on the Wednesday. But then on the Thursday, Gary will be in the STA Theatre, which is out in the open, just opposite the STA stand, the Sports Therapy Association stand. And that, I don't know if you realise this, Gary, that you are the only speaker out of our... Mm, Five, 10 speakers, I think, who are getting 45 minutes. The rest are getting 30 minutes. So I better say something gonna, useful. <laughs> you better say something useful in there. So that's gonna be for a full 45 minutes compared to the 30 minutes on the Wednesday. So and it's gonna be a really nice interactive chance for people to there'll be loads of seating space. People walking by will be stopping and joining in as well. So it's gonna be a fantastic networking event, which is what the STA Theatre is all about. Um, to direct questions um, once um, Gary has given his presentation. So that's the one on the Thursday at 11.30 in the STA Theatre, um, which really looking forward to. So many people are, are fascinated and really want to meet you in person. So thanks again. For and that. I'll be about for both days. So certainly on the second day, I will hang around the STA stand. So if people want to have conversations before and or whatever, we can kind of do that more kind of in person, as it were. Amazing. That would be great. Um, Catherine, it would be good. Mate good to meet you Catherine because Catherine did the course so I kind of know Catherine via Zoom but never met her face to face it's gonna be lovely there'll be loads of that last year was particularly kind of emotional because it was people because of Covid and all that but there's still lots of people we get you know close to online and then seeing them in person is just brilliant you know you're kind of walking around looking at them like that and go oh it's you and then you realize <laughs> you've got arms and legs and they move so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be equally as emotional I think um affect people equally yeah, I had that scenario with Mike at Elevate. That was the first time I'd, I'd only ever spoken to Mike Rice <laughs> via Zoom. So to meet him face to face was nice. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It's really cool. And like I said, I think in a post the other day, it's we are losing this face to face interaction. We are heading towards that everyone stay at home and work and play at home and, and yeah. never go out. It's going to happen one day. Um, but so we've got to try and delay it. So it's going to be really cool. Um, yeah. 
Right. So just to repeat once again, um, if people are interested in um, hearing more about Dr. Gary Mendoza, then just head over to the website um, stagesofchange.co.uk. Let's chuck this up on the screen again in case you're watching the video. Uh, stagesofchange.co.uk. Loads of information on there you can look through. Like Gary said, there's a massive um, tab there for resources. And there's the video I mentioned, uh, the Action Behaviour Change Strategy, uh, which introduces all the information you need about courses which are available. Um, there's online courses uh, where people can watch um, recordings and do it in their own time. Then you've also got an online recording which is interactive with you live, haven't you? Is that correct? Yeah, that cut on the 2nd of October, I've got the next Behaviour Change in MI workshop. And I only ever have a maximum of 10 people on that because... We need the interaction and the group work and what have you. So the next one starts on the 2nd of October, um, which is a Sunday. And we always do it nine. There's three. It runs over three consecutive Sundays and runs from about nine o'clock to about 12 o'clock. So it's three hours each, each session. Amazing. I think I saw on your website, maybe there's like four spaces left or three or four spaces. I think I saw that. I think on this one that's coming up, there's about, yeah, four or five, I think, something okay. so about half full, something like that. Okay. Yeah, they normally sell out. I mean, people seem to leave it to the last minute. But Hey, lastminute.com, that's what we all do. Um, so, yeah, people, if you enjoyed what you've heard today, then that might be something worth investing in. The feedback I get from your courses, um, Gary, are just amazing people. And people who I know have been, I mean, Rachel Francis the other day from Biomechanics Education and that, she was yeah. singing your praises. I think she's done multiple courses so and she's somebody who's, who's seen a lot and done a lot herself and gives courses so it's always great feedback um but yeah otherwise it's all about therapy expo now and um, november 23rd 24th in birmingham how far you got to travel to get to birmingham gary good, th good three hour drive three and a half hours not too bad birmingham it's not the end of the world fun and games up the motorway <laughs> yeah um and i'm and yeah so really looking forward to that thank you very much um for agreeing to do that again Right, so 8.58, um, I'm going to sign off now. Um, Gary, if you can hang around and don't click anything, I'll say thank you to you once we've um, closed down the live labs. Thanks, people, for joining us again. Um, next week, before I let you go, um, and for those of you listening to the podcast as well, next week we continue our um, episodes with speakers at, at Therapy Expo this year. Um, it's in no particular order. Um, so next week we will be talking to... Um, STA friends Anna Maria Mazzieri who a lot of you will know has been on the show a few times from the school um, and from um, Massage Matters um, and also with her Paul Coker um, who used to be medical director for Rock Tape. a lot of you know Paul through that now he's got his own uh, Move Well clinic in Cornwall and um, fantastic speaker one of the speakers who I got the most please get Paul on again um, so Paul and Anna are going to be doing a joint presentation, which I think is going to be absolutely brilliant. I mean, an Italian and a Scotsman together for, for half an hour is just going to be well worth turning up for. Um, and they're going to be talking about uh, massage and manual therapy and modern view, which is going to be they're going to open up the Thursday, actually, um, at Therapy Expo. And it's going to be an amazing way to start the day. So they're going to be on next week. And um, if you want to join us live, um, as always, the sports therapy um association channel on youtube just go along there at eight o'clock and we'll be there with anna maria mazzieri and paul coker um so that's it on behalf of dr gary mendoza and myself thanks, thanks for everybody. joining us and yeah hopefully we'll see some of you next week live take care of each other you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast 
putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.